Well, this morning I want to talk about seeing through Satan's lies and tactics. mm, Not always the easiest thing to talk about, but something that we need to know. You know, someone commented along these lines, when I die, if I'm met by someone with horns and a tail who's called the devil, I'll be reassured rather than frightened because that can only mean that someone's pulling my leg. And then I'll know that there's humour in the afterlife. Uh Uh-uh, no. Because the devil or Satan is for real. And he likes people to think he's a joke because he's all about lies and tricks and subtle strategies. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus was having a go at the religious leaders, and he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The devil is God's enemy. He hates God. And because we love God, he hates us too. So we're right in the firing line. Life is not lived on a playground, but on a battleground. So if we want to really thrive on this battleground, and we sang it this morning, didn't we? Jehovah Nisi, who fights for us. There are two things um, that we need to do. Or it really helps if we apply Susanna Wesley's word, words here. Two things to do with God's word, she said. Believe it and behave it. And if we want to do that, well, of course, first of all, we have to know it, don't we? So Satan's aim is to deprive us of God's blessing, to make us ineffective and weak as Christians. And if the worst comes to the worst to rob us of eternal life in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We don't like talking about that one, but we have to sometimes. On the positive side, as Christians... We are on the winning team. The Almighty God is for us. He's our deliverer, our champion, our source of victory. And he has armed us with powerful and effective weapons to fight off the devil's attacks. Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The belt of truth is the first piece of the armor mentioned here. Truth is a real key to victory. 
Without truth, we're lost, and the devil's schemes could well overpower us. Now, the belt of truth that they're talking about was a thick, heavy leather and metal band, and it held the soldier's sword and other weapons. So the belt of truth holds the sword of the spirit. It links truth and the word of God. And on one hand, that protects us and prevents us from getting taken in by the lies of the enemy. But then the absolute truth of God's word, as we know, becomes a major target for Satan. You know, truth is a biggie. When we abide in God's word, getting to know it, believing it, then we get to be able to distinguish between truth and lies. And you know, just as a belt is worn close to the body, we need to keep God's word close, keep the truth close, so that we're not vulnerable to Satan's counterfeits. And counterfeit is the key. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. That's about the Antichrist. Signs and wonders. And every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Our best defense against Satan's counterfeits is to know and love and apply the truth of God's word. Now, I guess we've all heard about counterfeit money. Why would anyone make counterfeit money? Simply because real money exists. God gives the real deal. Truth, teachers, prophets, apostles, pastors, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the devil comes along and sows false beliefs, false teachers, false prophets, and all that to lead us astray. Now the whole deal with counterfeit money is that it has to look real. And a lot of people might fall for it, but there are trained experts who can spot counterfeits that others would see as real. These experts do not learn that skill by studying counterfeits. They get that by studying real money until they know every detail. And that's how they can spot the fakes. So we need to become clued up on the truth of the Bible so that we can spot the fakes and the counterfeits. Now some tips, we all know this, right? Read the Bible every day, meditate or think about what we've read, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we're reading. And as we heard last week, we all, and we've been talking about, we all need to pray for that hunger, that thirst. For God's word. And it also helps, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, we are not ignorant as Satan's devices. So we need to get a bit clued up there. And I just want to look at some of these devices. Now one, he cast doubt on God's word. And this is 
this is the stuff that's quite hard to talk about because he casts doubt on the stuff that is hard and that we don't want to know. Now, the devil's lies can be very subtle and it can be hard to miss them. We see it with Eve right back in the Garden of Eden where Satan deceived her. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam and Eve could eat from every tree except for one, and that restriction was for their own good. But Satan cast doubt on God's motives. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, or some verses, Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Just slightly different to what God said. God said you are free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good or evil, or you will die. Now, Satan's words were so close to the truth, but just that subtle inference that God was depriving them. Like, has God indeed said? That that sounds a bit dodgy. And he also said, you will not die. Not a big fat lie. Not at all, just a subtle distortion of the truth that casts doubt on God's integrity. Now, Satan likewise misused scripture when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Hey, the words were, it was word perfect, but it was so out of context. False teachers and prophets use scripture, but with a hidden agenda to promote lies and to undermine faith. They might subtly deny the authority of God's word or just water it down in some way. Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's us, guys. We're the elect. We're the chosen of God. And the devil wants to counterfeit who God is, what he does, to trick us into doubting the truth of God's word. Now, some examples. And as I said, these are the things that are hard to talk about. Did God really say unbelievers will end up in hell? Ooh, ouch. You know, years ago, I was shocked to read an article in a Christian magazine about unsaved people being annihilated, destroyed forever, rather than going to hell after they die. You know, that was so appealing because we can all see that complete destruction is way better than an eternity of torment and suffering in hell. But I didn't believe it for half a second because the Bible clearly teaches the reality of hell. 
but whole denominations, numbers of churches and Christians believe this false doctrine about annihilation. Now we know where it comes from. Satan knows that what we believe as Christians directly influences how we live. Now, if we don't believe in hell, like, oh yes, we will be praying and working on getting our friends and family saved because we'll want them to be with us in heaven. You know, but maybe we'll be way less concerned about all the millions of strangers in this nation and the nations of the world. Like, I mean, why would we bother about talking to others about salvation, giving donations and money, going to revival prayer meetings at odd hours when people are just going to be annihilated and not going to hell? You know, if that's the truth, we're not going to be so motivated. If that's the truth, why on earth did Jesus come to earth and let himself basically be tortured to death? I mean, he willingly laid down his sinless life on our behalf to take our punishment, to pay the costly ransom for our sins. You know, John 3.16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right, moving on. Another difficult one. Did God really say we have to forgive those who sin against us? You know... What if we're talking about a horrendously violent and or abusive sin? Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you for everything and anything. Did God really say we have to tithe? Even... Even in these hard times. A tricky one. Hard to say. Did God really say the only context where it's okay to have sex is in a marriage between a man and a woman? All the answers are yes, yes, yes and yes. But in our world, in our culture today, if we did not know or accept the truth of the Bible, we would probably say no, 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 and no. You see, it's vital that we know and obey the truth of God's word. You know, another big area of counterfeit is how Satan tries to give the impression that he is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. You know, those are attributes of God. Satan is none of the above. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Nothing is impossible to our God. Satan, on the other hand, is a fallen angel. Yes, he's powerful, but with limitations. Remember when he wanted to afflict Job? 
First of all, he had to get God's permission, and then God determined how far he could go. And God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time. But as a fallen angel, Satan is confined to one place at one time. Remember when Daniel had a vision that he couldn't understand, so he asked for an interpretation. Well, God sent an angel to get through with an answer, and in effect, the angel's first words, it took 21 days, the angel was, sorry, I couldn't make it sooner. The prince of Persia, that's another fallen angel, withstood me for 21 days. So the angel God sent could not be with Daniel and fighting this fallen angel at the same time. Angels and fallen angels seem to be able to get around super fast, but they can only be in one place at one time. God is omniscient. He knows everything about everything and everyone. Satan doesn't, and he can't read our minds. Satan was always trying to thwart God's plan for salvation. And like so many others, he knew when the Saviour was born and he wanted to kill him. But he didn't know which baby to go after. So he incited Herod, this is terrible, to make a decree to kill all the baby boys two years old and under in that area. Just such a terrible tragedy. But he didn't get Jesus. Because God warned Joseph, his earthly father, to get him out quickly and get safely to Egypt. He didn't know. Now, we come across a device of imitation. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you might root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. The enemy there is Satan. And whatever God is doing, he'll be there sowing counterfeits. Now, the problem with the weeds amongst the wheat was that it was impossible to tell the difference in the early stages. And it was only when the wheat started developing ahead that it became obvious. And by then, it was too late to do anything. And this sowing of the false and with the true is a big issue in God's word. I mean, virtually all the New Testament writers warn us about it. So how can we distinguish between the true and the false? 
were with the wheat in the weeds, it was impossible to tell at first. But a foolproof message was to inspect the fruit inside the hedge, head when it got to that stage. Now the Bible teaches us that the marks of a true teacher, prophet, Christian, are not the gifts, but the fruit of a Holy Spirit. Now, clearly we need both the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit is the one that's the key to distinguishing between the true and the false. Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. A pastor, so what does bad fruit look like? Well, a pastor in the States invited a healing evangelist to do a crusade, and people were healed and saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Fantastic gifts, but the fruit was another story. And the pastor said, each night I sat in my church and watched that swaggering preacher make exaggerated and proud claims about his ministry, puffing himself up and telling outrageous lies. You know, another problem is that gifts are way more spectacular than the fruit, and it's easy to get carried away. We've got to be careful not to get beguiled by the gifts when the fruit is clearly rotten. Now that doesn't mean everyone who's got great gifts has rotten fruit. I mean, we, we get ones like, you know, like um, David and Greta, who have both great gifts and great fruit. But fruit can be seen in the lifestyle, the teaching, and the character. So the lifestyle, you know, are people living in sin? I mean, obviously no one's perfect. We all have a sinful nature and feet of clay, but we should all be growing and becoming more Christ-like as we go on. Fruit represents character, and that's summed up in Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, or righteousness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and humility. Thirdly, fruit represents the teaching and the influence, and this is a biggie. You know, a false teacher will teach their own ideas rather than the truth of God's word. And apparently there are churches where they preach that Jesus was not human, that he was not God, that the resurrection never happened, and that God did not create the world. Amazing. Hmm. And I read about a church leader teaching Matthew 14. Jody mentioned it this morning, the, fe- the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so many teachers, theologians try and sort of, t- um, you know, play down all the miracles and explain all the miracles. And he said, no, this was not a miracle that those 5,000 plus people just all shared their, their lunches. And the lesson is that it's a great example of how things work when everyone is willing to contribute. No, that's not what the Bible says. But that's an example of false teachings. And that's how they try and explain away all the miracles of the Bible. 
You know, the devil's cunning strategy so often is to surround false teaching with truth. A lot of deceptions are based on truth and they say that the teaching of most false cults is like about 90% truth and 10% false, which makes it hard to pin down. Because if it was all lies, no one would fall for it. And then there's the device of distraction, and I've spoken about that before, but as Wayne Cadero said, always remember that one of the devil's greatest weapons is not destruction, it's distraction. And this particularly affects our prayer life, which is vital to our relationship with God. So obviously, Satan will do anything to try and stop us praying. And then Satan puts evil suggestions into our heads. John 13 and verse 3, The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus. Acts 5 and verse 3, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So who prompted Judas to betray Jesus? Who motivated Ananias to lie about the money he donated? The Bible says it was the devil. And Satan also incites persecution against Christians, and we could go on and on. So we look now at the gifts and the fruit. Now, decades ago, Tark and I went to a prophetic conference in Australia, and the main speaker was the head of a large denomination, and he was an incredibly popular pastor. He had a brilliant prophetic gift, but he was involved in a long-term affair with his secretary, and there'd been others before her. And unfortunately, this all came out two days before the conference. So he was kicked out, and another speaker had to take over. Now, this guy had a great ministry. He was so gifted, such a nice guy, but sadly, very rotten fruit. False ministers don't get away with it. But as we see with that parable, it can take time for the weeds to manifest. God is patient with sinners, including us. Where am I? And in his mercy, he gives time to repent and to sort things out. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to deal with it. And that's why we've got to look for fruit in our own lives and sometimes in the lives of others. And hey, when I look around at Church Unlimited, I think we're blessed with an abundance of good fruit. You know that? Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, humility. You guys are fantastic. But we're all on this journey of growing more like Jesus. And also, both the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are vital. And so we're praying all the time for more of the gifts. Power, prophecy, healing, signs, wonders, miracles. We need everything that God has to offer. But the Bible does tell us it's the fruit rather than the gifts that give us the outward evidence of an inner 
life. Now, we can see some of the differences between fruit and gift, gifts by, by comparing, just very briefly here, an apple tree and a Christmas tree. Now, the fruit on an apple tree tells us what kind of tree it is, but the gifts on a Christmas tree doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't even tell us if it's a real tree or a fake tree. Now, likewise, the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in a person's life don't necessarily tell us much about the nature of the person. And it can actually just take minutes to put gifts on a Christmas tree. But apples grow and develop over a long period of time. And likewise, the fruit of the Holy Spirit develops gradually as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, as we work on our attitudes, live in obedience to God, and respond right to Him in all the things that we go through. So, as I said before, we've got to be patient with ourselves and with others because fruit develops gradually. Now, the danger, some of the dangers of bad fruit. Well, obviously it hurts God and it hurts the church. It can damage other people. You know, we don't just live our Christian life as individuals. We're part of a body, members of the body of Christ. We're all connected, so when one part messes up, the whole body can suffer. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1, dead flies can make a whole bottle of perfume stink. Right? A little stupidity can cancel out the greatest wisdom. Bad fruit can lead others astray. I read about a well-known TV personality, not in New Zealand, and this woman tragically was murdered. And the report mentioned both her Christian faith and the fact that she was living with her fiancé. No. But, you know, Christian faith and living, sleeping with your fiancé are not a good mix. As a well-known public figure who was seen as a Christian, this woman's life could well have been a stumbling block for some unbelievers and maybe for vulnerable Christians who did not know God's word or who struggled with a, to obey it. You know, maybe for some the only excuse they needed to jump into bed with their boyfriend or girlfriend was, you know, looking at this and thinking, well, if it's okay for her, it's okay for me. So we do need to be careful. We need to understand that despite the gifts, when someone's life doesn't add up, the fruit is rotten. And in Brian Bailey's book, now I mentioned Brian Bailey, he's you know, long gone now, but in his book, The Comforter, he says, Matthew 7, 22 to 23, really hit home to me and my wife many years ago at a Pentecostal convention. He says a particular minister was twisting the scriptures to condone sin. This is an abomination to the Lord, and we were sickened by it. Then at the end of the message, he made an appeal for salvation. Many were saved. Many others were filled with the Holy Spirit and healed through his ministry. 
When we returned to our room, the Lord Jesus was standing there in person. Now those of you who remember Brian Bailey will know that he had so many visions of God and encounters with God. He goes on. I've never seen him looking so sad. He didn't speak one word to us, but he shook his head from side to side. As his head moved, the Holy Spirit thundered out. Matthew 7, 22 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The message was clear. We are not accepted because of our gifts, but more of our character and fruit. We must love the truth. You know, as Susanna Wesley said, there are two things to do with the gospel or with God's word, believe it and behave it. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, we all know that Satan can mess with our minds big time because he has such low down, mean and nasty tactics. But we serve a God who is infinitely greater than any tactic the enemy tries to throw at us. Just let me remind you that the God that we love and serve is omnipotent, all-powerful. Nothing is impossible to him. He is omnipresent everywhere, all the time. That means he's always with us. God is omniscient. He knows everything about everything and about everyone. And this morning, if the Holy Spirit has highlighted anything in our life, in your life, it indicates that maybe we're taken in or vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Let's bring that issue to God and let his truth wash over us and give us fresh eyes to see the fruit, to discern the truth. And most of all, let us be seekers of truth and lovers of God's word and and ones who believe it and behave it. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is the truth. And God, that you lead us, you guide us, that you know us. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace which can help us to know it, to love it, to live it. So God, I just pray that you will help us all, Lord, to live your truth. And Lord, that you will help us all, Lord, to know your grace, to love it and to obey it. Lord, just come and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you.